Let's begin. Let's just turn our hearts to the Lord right now and just say, Lord, we need you. Lord, we are so thankful that we get to come into your presence. Lord, we are thankful that we get to gather as the church. Lord, we don't take any of these things lightly. Lord, we are here for you. We open our hearts to you, Lord, this afternoon, this morning. Lord, and we thank you that you are able to transform lives, not us. Lord, we do not come trying to better ourselves. We come and hide ourselves in the cross and what you have done. So, Lord, if we haven't already, Lord, we take this opportunity right now to say we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for what that cross means because you died, that you took my place. The Lamb of God who died for me. Lord, you are beautiful beyond description. Lord, there are not even words to describe how wonderful you are. So Lord, I ask that you would fill us with the wonder of who you are. Lord, as we go into your word, that we would see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My voice is partly there and partly not there. I'm looking forward to my voice being back by the time we're done with this. Okay, so in week one, uh, we, we looked at, basically it was a word that the Lord gave me quite specifically that previous night about changing what we had already prepared to just give you this word. The Lord is looking for a church that is in love. He's not looking for a church that tries to worship Him. He's not looking for a church that tries to be Christian. He's looking for a church that is in love with Jesus. And this is something that can seem like, well, yeah, obviously. But it isn't that obvious because we get so busy doing the Christian thing. We get so busy doing the church thing. And we forget that this is somebody we're coming to meet. And this somebody is not someone you can just get to know casually. He says, I'm looking for someone I can call my bride. Someone who is absolutely fascinated and in love with me. And I gave an example of things between my wife and I. I said, if I were to pursue her, if I were to say, well, she's my wife, she knows I love her. While I'm in church, God knows I love him. Do you see how that can happen? You get familiar with the person you're coming to meet or the person you are here for. And God's saying, I want a church that's in love with me. And Revelation tells us that, gives us that admonition. Now, I, I started off this series with this thought. If there is going to be transformation in the church of God, it is always in step with moving deeper in love with Jesus. If it's not accompanied by a moving deeper in love with Jesus... You're happy with the God you met yesterday. Do you understand? If you're happy with the God you met yesterday, I can press pause on my walk with God and I can say, well, beam me up, Scotty. When it's time, just tell me when it's time to go, when the trumpet sounds and I'll be ready. And there are, we might laugh, but there are lots of Christians who actually wait for that day when it's like, well, I can't wait to get out of this place. There is stuff for us to do here. There is a reason why God our Father has left us here. And it is a time for us to not just be passive in this love relationship. And he is preparing a bride, which is his church. Not 
word of grace. Not any other church in this town. We're not talking about individual local churches, but the church of Christ. He is preparing for that wedding day. So, have you written to him a love letter recently? Have you sung to him? Have you whispered in his ear? Do you you understand? When you're in love with somebody, you take time. You invest yourself in the relationship. So that's what I'm asking that we consider as we go further in this series. And there was one other point I wanted to make just as we just as way of review. And I spoke to you last week about considering what worship is fundamentally about. And I said that it is always in view of something you've seen. Right? And that's what we're going to unpack today. But when you see this verse, we've always seen this verse and we've read it as in view of being in the context of, in the uh, considering this fact that God has been merciful, make a decisive dedication of your bodies. We always read it like that. But I'm saying, take those words to be in view of. I take what Jesus has done and put it right in front of me. I take what Jesus has done on the cross in view of the mercies of God, I now present myself. So now worship has a basis to be offered because I'm responding to something I have seen. If you're not seeing something, there's nothing to respond to. So that's hopefully what we can unpack today. I don't know what that weird line thing is. But anyway... So can you think of words we use in worship or in just your normal speech to describe the God we worship? Any words? What words do you use to describe God? Kind. Kind? Yeah. Always faithful. Faithful. All seeing, the God who sees all things. So for those of you who have done the worship growth session last Sunday, we considered some of these things about the names of God. What, not just names of God for the sake of doing this extensive Hebrew study, but it's for the reason of saying, who are we dealing with here? We need to really get to the bottom of who are we dealing with? Is it just capital G-O-D? What does that word mean even? Because we're so used to using the phrase God. We just throw that one out there. God. Well, what does that mean to you? So that's why I'm trying to ask you. So think again. We already have a few examples. What are some of the ways that you have known God and describe Him? My provider. My provider. Yeah. Yes. Father, sovereign, sovereign. Healer. healer, loving. Do you see all of these words are trying to describe this indescribable God? Yeah? So I'm just, I just took a, an assortment. So it's not even in name order, it's not in characteristic or... 
I've not done any of that. I've just simply thrown a few out there and you will see them in scripture and you have, some of you have already said these words. Okay? And this is not even covering a, a hundredth of the names of God. Like it's, God is called a hundred and hundred and hundreds of things. These are just a few. But if you notice, there is one that I've highlighted in red. And this has to do with how indescribable God is. He is known as the Holy One. In the morning, um, when, I, when I wake up and I think to myself, Lord, it is such a privilege to come and meet with you. At the same time, I'm aware that there is nothing in me that is almost exactly like him, apart from what Jesus has done. He is so different from who I am. There's nothing in my fleshly self that is like God. That even seeks after God. And God is in a whole category by himself. And that's what the word holy means. It means totally separate. That's the simplest way to understand holy. What do we understand when we hear the word holy? Be good. Do the right stuff. We immediately have, in Christendom, we have this sort of understanding of this God who wants us to be holy because He is holy. And we have this word holy attached to doing good stuff or doing the right thing or just being that guy (laughs) who's just like stuck up. (laughs) It's like, you're, you're too holy for yourself. You know, it's just like, yeah, for your own good, pretty much. But we, we say these things, but have no concept of the word holy. Holy means he's completely different. He's completely set apart. That's how the Bible describes it. Set apart for a specific purpose. And God is set apart for all praise and glory. There is no other name. When we say you are worthy of your name, when we say how great is our God, I love the fact that we, we pick some songs that you're very familiar with. And I would just ask you, how much did the familiarity of the songs lead you to just gloss right through the words and not consider how great your God was? And these are the things we're getting to the heart of. You know I love you. I'm married to you. Everybody knows you're my wife. That kind of a relationship with God, where we're so... How great is our God? Sing with me how great. I don't even know, but... Oh, we'll see how great. And we just go for it. And then we bring other people into that too. And we need to be extremely careful that we don't get overly familiar and then we don't become those people who are then just like all the time trying to find out how can I be more sober about God than God is. You know those people who try to get like overly serious about God and they just don't know how to have any fun? God wants us to be people who delight in who He is. So the more we go into the series, I want us to see that All of these names describe God and they're all summed up in that one word. He is the Holy One. 
There is no one like him. So if you were to talk about him being counselor, there is not a single person who can counsel like him. He's in a counseling category all by himself. If you were to think about helper, he's in a helping category all by himself. Why did I ask you that question about describing things? Because everything we see, we see in pictures, in our mind. Now, if I said the word power to you, what, what comes to mind? Anybody, quickly. Muscles? Yeah, you got some pretty good guns there. But what, what comes to mind when you hear the word power? Sorry? A lightning bolt. Money. Power is money, okay? Do you see how all of these things have different concepts in our mind? And we see something when we hear a word. So when you say, you have the name above all names, you have power to save, there is an understanding of that word that we have that we attribute in that moment. Do you understand? You're using your brain when you worship. You're not just doing some mindless spiritual activity. So when you have these concepts in your mind and you have these pictures in your mind, this is where worship has to move past that. Because we have an understanding that's based on a human scale. If you say the word faithful, what comes to mind? Huh? A dog, okay, who loves diligently, yes. And, and mind you, in the Hebrew, there are certain words about the faithfulness of God that have to do with almost a dog-like love. Like literally coming up at your feet and constantly at you. That's the faithfulness of God. So it's not out of context. Yes? The sunrise faithfulness like the sun. Yeah? In support of me. So now, see, these are all words that now we're starting to churchify. Okay? Now, all of the things that we've heard, we're trying to find a spiritual relevance to it. But if you were to dial it back, very simply in your daily living, you would say faithfulness is doing your job well, not cheating on your wife. These are things that you consider. These are the... The things that pictures that come up in your mind the moment you hear these words. So when you talk about the faithfulness of God, how is he someone who never fails on the job? How is he someone who... Have you actually seen what that looks like? And this is where worship comes in and God says, I am going to show you who I am. Sorry, my sister's trying to call me. I want to show you who I am. So when God shows you and he says, I am the faithful one. It's not like those pictures you've seen before. It's not like your wife or your husband. It's not like that person who was just so conscientious at work and that person who did everything to the T. It's going way beyond all of those things to the place where God literally shows you in his heart. I'm going to show you who I am. The Holy One says, I am faithful. I am loving. I am all-seeing. It takes on a totally different context. Do you understand how I'm saying our pictures pale 
to describe who our God is. So when we bring these mere words, which is why um, C.S. Lewis, I mean, if you've never read C.S. Lewis's works, he's amazing. It's just wonderful to just read through. His, his work on the Psalms, it, for instance, is really good. And you start to see where someone who's so good with language, someone who could literally take prose, like it would just flow out of the guy. And him finding this place where he says, you know what, I'm stumped. I just don't know what else to say about this wonderful God. And it comes from a place of revelation and then God shows us who he is. So this is something we did in the evening growth session. This is the takeaway that they had when they went home. God wants you to know him. He's not trying to hide from you. He's not trying to make it difficult. He's not saying, there's curtain number one, two or three. Which one am I hiding behind? We have these images of God like this distant person that you can never behold. Then we take passages out of Exodus and say, well, Moses didn't get to see him. And God says, I'm going to hide you in the... It's because God wanted him to see him. And he said, Lord, show me your glory. And he says, that, if I show you all my glory right now, it wouldn't work. But I still want to show myself to you. Do you understand? God's heart was still saying, I want to meet with you. I want you to know me. And we covered this in the evening was... The call was to the whole people of Israel. It wasn't to Moses. Everyone reads that passage of scripture and thinks, Moses had this hotline to God and he got to do the the special stuff and he got to meet with God. God called the whole nation. He says, come and meet with me. But no one would come. They said, no, 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 no. Moses, you're the the dude. You do the, the thing. Does that remind you of churches today? Oh, you're, you're the pastor. You, you, you do that thing. You just tell me what he said and then I'll download that. Put it in a devotional. I'll buy it on Amazon. But you go meet with God and tell me what he said. And when Jesus has paid the price for you to enter in and he says, Come! He wants you to know him and see him. So when we have considered this God, we see in the Old Testament especially that he describes himself as the God who is creator. That right in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, that's the God we meet. The God who made all things. The God who was before. The God who was, is and will be. And again, I want to emphasize all of this is in the context of him being completely separate. But in Hebrews chapter 3 it says, he, in the ages before, he had spoken to us in many portions, in many ways, many ways through the prophets. And now, how has he revealed himself? Through his son. And his son came to set up a whole new framework For encountering God. While God existed as father before. While God existed as son before. While God existed as the Holy Spirit before. He says I want to reveal myself to you as such. And Jesus wasn't coy about it. He wasn't wasn't playing safe. 
with that phrase. Oh, it's my father. When I talk to my father, and he literally brought them and he says, I'm going to see my father and your father. I'm going to my God and your God. And then he says, guess what, guys? I'm going to teach you how to pray. What is the first thing he says? It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. He says, I want to teach you guys how to pray. I know how to pray. So when he starts this disciples' prayer, he says, Our Father. And the Father God who has called us from before the foundations of the earth, he has sent forth his Son. He saw and he called and he loves. Without any reproach. And then sin took root. So when you start to see the work of sin and what we, all of us who have gone our own way, did it stop a loving father? Did it stop God's love? Was his heart in any way starting off as I am God the judge? Do you understand? When we see God, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about the supreme God of all heaven and earth the first thing that we come think about is his sovereignty or his judgment. He's just making snap decisions. But his heart was for love. His heart for God so... The problem is we miss that in the whole sweep of we're busy fighting theological arguments. Everyone wants to fight some, well, this is my corner and this is what I believe in. I'm like, okay, but do you know that God loves you? There is nothing in his heart which is opposed to you. His heart is opposed to sin. In him there is no darkness, so he cannot have anything to do with sin. So that's not him being against you. And now he has revealed himself through his son. So when we encounter Jesus, the son who saves and redeems, that's what Jesus' name means. Yehoshua, which is Joshua, right? The word Joshua is the name Jesus, pretty much. The one who saves. God saves. He is the one who has come and stepped right in where we could not. And he says, I will save you. I will save you. Why? Because my father loved. Do you hear that? I have come not because I wanted to do something grand to save the world. It's because my father loved. That's why he gave. I'm not here to just be the, su- the superman of the day. To be the superhero that we all wanted to be. That wasn't Jesus' agenda. His agenda was to return a, 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 a lost son to the father. That was his job. Corinthians tells us, and this is the job that we were given. 
the message of reconciliation. So therefore I appeal to you, be reconciled to God. That was what Jesus came to do. So when we go around preaching all of this, or rather trying to fight arguments about how much of it was the judgment of God and how much of it was God's calling and how much of it was you being saved, oh, just be quiet. Respond to the love of God. Because if you do not know how to respond to the love of God, guess what? You're not going to be able to love Him back. And worship is fundamentally a love response. If you don't get that deep within your spirit, you will always be trying to work out your salvation with one theological phrase to the next. One devotional to the next. Sending someone on ahead to do your walking of your faith for you. And then you regurgitate that, whatever that is and you try and say, well, that's my Christianity. Leave those things behind and chase after the one who called you. And we have not been left as orphans. We have been given a helper. And he, Jesus said in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will help you. He will take everything that I have said. And guess what I have done? I have not done anything except what I have seen my father do. So when I have expressed the father to you, I and the father are one just as the father and I are one. And you will be in me. Guess what? We are all going to be one. And that was Jesus' prayer in John 17. He says, Father, make them one. Just as you and I are one. You see, Jesus' heart was not to keep you on the outside hoping you could get some more of the Jesus juice. He said, I'm bringing you in. I have come to blaze a trail into my Father's presence. Follow me. Anyone... This is John chapter 10. Anyone who tries to come any other way, I am the good shepherd. I go in and I go out. I will lead them in and out. I am the God who goes ahead of them. I am the good shepherd. Anyone who tries to go any other way is a thief. So when you think about worship, you need to be thinking, God has revealed himself and he has shown me a way. So every aspect of who our God is is essential to you entering into worship. It's not, it's not a maybe thing. It's like, I, I'm okay with this Father God business. I'm, okay, I'm not so sure. Was, he, was, he, was God male? I mean, seriously. God is saying, I love you and I want to meet with you. He says, I have sent my son. Do you believe? That is the question you have to answer. Because that is the basis on which the judgment of God sits. It's no longer on the basis of sin. Sin has been dealt with. Right now the judgment of God lands completely on what do you say? Who do you say I am? And if your answer to that question is wishy-washy, He says, you cannot enter in. 
It is on the basis that Jesus is Lord. It is on the basis that Jesus is Savior. And he's the only name under which men can be saved. That you can enter in. There is no other way. I love this man of God who is no longer with us. But Derek Prince once said, When you come into contact with, become aware of, or have a revelation of the holiness of God, there is only one appropriate response. Worship. Without such a revelation, we cannot really have worship. We can have a song service, but we do not enter into worship until we have a revelation. And he's talking about the holiness of God. It cannot be explained. It cannot be defined. It can only be revealed by God. So what you and I are dealing with has got nothing to do with whether we have good enough lights. It's got nothing to do with whether we have the best song uh, music team. It's got nothing to do with whether we have the most relevant songs. It's got everything to do with God revealing himself and whether we're here to do that. So for all of the things, I am someone who loves music. But you will never see me, like in all, we've got another few weeks of this, You will see me touch music maybe a fraction compared to the things that we need to talk about when we're concerning worship. Does does worship make you sing? Is there delightful music in it? Absolutely. 100%. But the problem is, if I asked you straight off the bat, without, without the context of any of this, if I said, what is worship to you? something related to singing would have come up. Something related to a music service or something related to songs. And we forget that worship was something that, forget about us, it's happening 24-7 in the presence of God. And it's not all la-la-la. They're not all doing the Hey Jude in heaven. La-la-la-la-la-la. They're not doing that. There is cries, there is shouts, there are tears, there is falling on your face. There is all of these things, wonderful things that you think are such weird responses. There was a season in the church of God. It started late 60s into the 70s. Where we saw the Lord move through the church and people were inhibitions, places of just fear were moved out of the way and people were just able to respond to God. And then we tried to manage that back into a place where we could control it. Because that's just way too weird. It's just awkward. We were more concerned with dealing with the awkward than we were with handling the presence of God. All that I say with the caveat that we have seen excesses in churches. We have seen people go wildly off course. We have seen people do all kinds of weird, strange stuff. But never let that scare you away from seeking after the Lord in His presence. The Bible is replete with stuff. It's full of stuff which shows you how God has called His people to respond. 
And it is not about, I love Jesus deep down in my heart. It's in my heart. It's so deep down, you just can't see it. You know, remember when I did that song on joy and we were like, I've got the joy of the Lord deep down in my heart. It's true. <laughs> you see, if you send a team down there, you might not get them back. <laughs> it's one of those kind of joys. And we have to really get real with what we mean when we say we're meeting as a church to worship. You mean you're coming for a song service? You mean you're coming to hear somebody preach? What is it you mean when you say... I, like, for instance, even the word, it's, we say worship service, right? Now people have changed that to other things. The fundamental reason why it was ever called a service was because we were here to offer something to God. A service to God, not to you. But it has become a service of the people. Meeting with God matters. And that's why I have started this series called Worship Matters. If we are going to be a church in transformation, we have to know that meeting with God fundamentally matters. It's not just a by-the-way thing. You remember me saying this, that worship at a very basic level is my response to what or who has my attention. Remember I told you what you see in your mind? What is the first thing that grabs your attention, that's what you're talking about. Whatever has your attention has your mouth too. Whatever has your attention has your mouth too. Worse still, in Christianity, our mouths are given to songs, but our minds are given to other things. And that's where the disconnect happens with Christian worship. We are content with singing about a God, content with singing words that, oh, you are amazing. I mean, I like that song. I love the song, You Are Beautiful Beyond Description. My mind is still trying to figure out why the heck I haven't been able to pay that bill yet. Or, why my kids didn't go to sleep last night? My daughter woke up several times during the night. And you can find yourself like, your mind goes like, right out the window. And you're singing, you are beautiful. So what you are actually saying is happening up here. Oh, this is happening, and this, and that's what you're worshiping at that moment. I'm giving my attention, and all of who I am is going towards that. And I'm playing, I'm paying lip service to something else. God becomes the something else. But if you have a big picture of who your God is, so I want to change that phrase. So remember that phrase of whatever has your attention. What you're responding, your response to that is your worship. Whatever has your attention. Now I want to bring this back into our relationship with God. Okay? Because that, that definition is a very, very basic definition. Worship fundamentally in God has to do with a revelation of God. Right? Like we heard. And then my 
response to that revelation. So if there is a revelation of God, I can respond to it. What what do we do in churches? We work on the response. We give very little time to focus on what is God revealing. Come on, everybody. Let's let's stand up. Let's clap our hands. Come on, everybody. Let's uh, put your hands in the... And we do all of that. We're focusing on a response that we think you need to have in order to worship God. Is clapping your hands good? Is singing out loud good? Is getting into it good? Absolutely. But not at the expense of a revelation. Because this is what defines this. Your revelation of God is what defines your response. Otherwise, it's just empty. You're just offering up your own little smokescreen of whatever it is. So worship is fundamentally my response to... Now, I want to paint these two pictures, and this is what will be the railway tracks for the rest of our series. It's a revelation of who God is, and that's what we've talked about, and what He has done. What He is doing, and what He will do. My heart is always walking down these two tracks and saying, Lord, I want to see who You are, and what You have done, and what You will do, and what You're doing right now in my life. And as I start to look at these things, my heart responds. There is nothing my heart can do but worship. You know, when you hear people say that, it's not untrue. If you really see who God is, I'm telling you, you will worship. The problem is we don't see God. That's where the disconnect is. The disconnect isn't why your worship experience isn't as cool as it was the other day. The issue is, have I seen God lately? If I'm not seeing God, there is nothing for me to respond to. Just as with any love relationship with my wife, if I don't take time to see my wife, not just look at her, I'm talking about meet with her, date her, fall in love with her. I'm talking, I mean seriously, seven years and three kids can be, I'm past that, she's my wife. You're the, you're the missus. Do you see how that can easily happen? In people's lives. That's how our relationship with God gets. And then we, have, and then we question. Why does I feel so dry? I feel, oh, I'm not getting anything at this church. I just, oh. And then we'll skip around town. And find that the church was not the problem. Neither was the pastor or the worship team or anything else. We find that the problem was. I wasn't set on chasing after him as someone who's in love with Jesus. If I'm not in love with Jesus, all of this, you might as well just go home because this is not worth it. And that's what a lot of Americans are discovering. We were in a generation where if you didn't go to church, someone looked, you didn't go to church. Now we're in a social atmosphere where going to church, who the heck cares if you go to church? I'm not going to church. Good for you. That's the response. And guess what? That's a wonderful thing. I would much rather people know that they don't need to be at church and have the people who say, 
my heart is set on God. And then when those people are on fire, guess what? Others who will see it, many will see and fear and put their trust in the living God. Not because you're trying to drum them and drag them into church. That generation of Americans is gone. God is calling us out of congregational Christianity into a place where we're convictional Christians. Amen? So let's just finish here. For next week, we're going to unpack a little bit more about what it is, the way into God's presence. So remember I said the two tracks that we're going to be dealing with is who God is, what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. If you keep that in your heart, so every time you consider the word worship, every time you consider coming to a time of prayer or coming to the word, say, Lord, show me who you are and what you've done. Because the moment I start to see some of that, my heart responds. And it's a natural thing. It's not something cooked up. It's not something I'm trying to make up. I'm not trying to do this for, because it's my Christian duty. Because I'm really seeing God. Yeah? So I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, we'll c- close the service here, but let's just take some time to respond right now. Remember, don't run to the response right now. Do you see that? That's the very Christian thing to do. She immediately jumped to the response. Dial it back for a second and say, Lord, what have you shown me? What am I responding to? Lord, I want to be someone who in my heart of hearts is not playing Christian. Lord, I want in my heart of hearts to encounter you. I want to meet with you. So Lord, we thank you for this privilege to come to you right now. Lord, for each heart here, Lord, you know where we are at. Lord, I ask that you'd reveal yourself. Lord, I ask that you'd draw us deeper into who you are. Show us the things that you have done. Help us remember the things that you have done. To recount the blessings that you have poured out in our lives. That we might not forget one of your benefits. Lord, and as we behold you, Lord, I ask that you'd help our hearts to respond. Lord, we come with nothing but the work of Jesus. Clothed in his righteousness, we come boldly to call you Father. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Help us during our week, Lord, that we would be people who respond to you quickly. And often. Awaken our hearts Lord. To to the voice. Of the Holy Spirit. In the little things. And in the big things. That we might be a people. Who are living a lifestyle of worship. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. If you have a child in. Grace kids. Please go sign them out.